Hello and welcome to the Art Monthly Talk Show. I'm Mark Lewis. Uh, shortly we're going to be speaking to Chris Feit-Wesselak, whose feature piece, Mold in the Museum, explores the work of artists who make use of fungus as a pointed form of institutional critique. Uh, but first, we speak to Chris Hayes about his article, Beyond Tech Clash. So, Chris, thanks for coming on again. And um, you've written uh, an article called Beyond Tech Clash, which argues that the, the tech clash doesn't go far enough. Um, it's not just about content, but about re-engaging with anti-capitalist thinking about technology itself. Uh, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about how you came to write this piece. Sure, great. Yeah, no, um, thanks for um, thanks for inviting thanks for inviting me back on, and I'm delighted to um, delighted to write the piece for uh, 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 Art Monthly. Um, but yeah, so I think um, so the so the essay is about the relationship between art and the tech clash, and the tech clash um, describes a shift in sentiment. Um, against the sort of uh, major the major corporations that dominate digital life and about uh, feelings about technology and the status of tech workers um kind of in general as well so it's this kind of play on the term it's the play on the term backlash um so and i think so i um i am exploring kind of arguments about um what is maybe ha- happened over the last few years because we're increasingly seeing artists um explore technology in their work and to take on these explicitly cr- critical st- stances um a number of galleries and museums have kind of held these blockbuster shows about the relationship between art and technology and some kind of sense of critique is often um kind of implicit or explicit in the framing there um and i think that on the on the face of it, or on the surface of it, it might, it might seem like this is a kind of a wholly positive thing that kind of art is playing, or uh, art, artists are playing their this kind of role as being a kind of, kind of conscious uh, for 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 society, or kind of being the space in which you can articulate um, these kind of alternative ways of thinking, or these, these these kind of critical positions. But I think the longer you spend with, um, particularly some of the work or some of the shows that have gotten um, a lot of kind of mainstream attention or kind of mainstream press. Um, it, to me at least, or at least this is the central thrust of the argument, is that it feels very, very limited um, in, t- in terms of where the arguments can kind of take us. So I think that that might be maybe a useful kind of an, o- an overview of what the piece is doing, and we can kind of maybe get into some of the specifics. Yeah, so... It- <clears throat> Yeah, so the the quote from you that I wrote down was that you found the expectations you were bringing to exhibitions seem to have fallen out of sync with the institutional agendas. So I guess maybe just like what were your what are your expectations for these critical exhibitions, and where do you think I guess they fall short or they don't quite go far enough? Yeah, so I think because this is a part of maybe the larger kind of story about um, art and 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 tech and, and kind of a part of that quote as well you know I was saying how um, this is kind of anecdotal but I kind of this is a shared frustration frustration that kind of many many people had, fe- had, had felt right that um, and I think that this is kind of maybe theorized as the kind of shift between net art and post in, 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 in internet art um, that kind of you know in the in roughly Roughly around the '90s, a lot of artists were kind of making our 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 artworks with like early digital tools, or really saw in very optimistic way the 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 internet or digital space as being this very alternative space that um, was 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 come away from um, everything that that was kind of bad about real life and kind of offered this space for you for things to be different. And then post internet art 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 articulates this kind of integration of these spaces and more and more of the work is about social is about social media and about these kind of blur these this kind of blurring of lines between between digital space and real space and lots of in, individuals have kind of gone through this little journey themselves right that when maybe you're a bit younger or 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 or, or you're kind of getting into some of these conversations at first it feels like a much more optimistic thing and then over time you you um you become more aware of maybe the critique or the limitations and there's a certain kind of frustration there 
and what I was trying to say in that paragraph specifically is that um, that this is one form of the uh, one form of the shift in one form of the shift in sentiment, right? That we we stop seeing technology as a kind of a liberating tool or a digital space as like an alternative space, and 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 increasingly it feels kind of implicated in um, what in like in like wider forces. Um, but I, I was experiencing a, maybe a kind of another sense of frustration and that was with the kind of that 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 was maybe with the kind of that was maybe with the limits or what i was perceiving to be the limits of these um apparently critical shows that galleries and museums were were holding um so there's different kinds of shifts of sentiment that i was trying to maybe get out there um, um so is the shift from a kind of more optimistic net utopia of the 90s where where kind of early internet aesthetics were being used to make art that's that then went into a shift of a where artists were kind of acknowledging that there was a full integration of technology and capitalism and are, are you saying that we're now kind of experiencing a third kind of shift perhaps where which is characterized by the tech clash um well cuz i i think that a big i think a, there there's maybe a latent there's a latent tech lash in a in in a lot of post internet art work. Um, some some of that work was what maybe offered a, a kind of a cynical or or an, an ironic response to the tech lash, and some some people saw it as a kind of a, motiv- a motivating impulse of their of their work. Um, what what I'm because I think in this this essay I'm trying to argue for maybe the renewed. Uh, the renewed relevance of a, of a kind of a lineage of anti-capitalist thinking, because I'm uh, fr- I'm frustrated with the what I'm perceiving as kind of the limits of um, some of the kind of critical shows that museums and galleries are, hold- are holding. So it, uh, it, uh, it might be useful to point to to point to a more to point to a more tangible example. Um, so it might be useful to talk about the work of of Trevor Paglin for 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 a for example because I think his work um, directly or indirectly does doesn't does does embody a lot of the kind of sentiment of the uh, of the tech lash and he because he does this he, he like does this quite clever thing where the pieces will be where his projects his projects typically will be. Um, rooted in these kind of deep histories of of photography, and then kind of point to the ways that um, the forces of power in society evade scrutiny themselves, while kind of advancing forms of um, surveillance on the general on the general public. So what so what kind of emerges from a project like this is um, a kind of revealing gesture. That it that it um, and I um I think I yeah and, and like part of the piece is trying to is trying to articulate a kind of frustration with this that um I don't know how much Trevor Paglin or his 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 works allow us to think differently about um about tech about tech about tech technology or its um kind of influence that is having in society. Um, so a major influence for my argument, for example, is an essay that Mark Fisher wrote about an artwork by the uh, an artwork by the Othla Group, um, Anathema, which is a, a video piece that they made in two thousand and e e e e e e eleven, and uh, Fisher's reading of the work. Si- situates it within this kind of larger um this larger lineage of anti of anti of anti-capitalist thinking that um isn't just critiquing technology on its own terms which i'm um uh, which i'm which i'm suggesting that a lot of the the art the art the artwork kind of uh that i'm that i'm that i'm situating around the tech lash does what i what i really appreciate about the author group work is that um that it seems to be disputing that it's that it seems to be disputing conceptions of conceptions of technology itself which i which i which i think is a kind of a deeper project or a more or a more or a more kind of difficult one maybe you could um talk a little bit about 
uh, Mark Fisher's discussion of the the Otolith Group's work, Anathema from 2011, um, and kind of compare that maybe to a more institutional show like the 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 2016 show at Whitechapel Gallery, uh, Electronic Superhighway, um, and just how you kind of talk about those two different moments, I guess, in in your in your piece. There's been a kind of a growing number of um, exhibitions by by museums and galleries that are kind of looking back to how artists have responded to technology over the years or looking forward to 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 like new trends and trying to situate artwork within that. And I find that these tend to be very I, I tend I find that these tend to be quite kind of limited in their focus and scope. And what I'm pointing to is a kind of lineage of anti-capitalist thinking um, that isn't just critiquing tech, isn't just critiquing tech as um, taking away our privacy or eroding workers' rights, although those are very serious, very serious issues, but it's kind of getting at the way the technology is like conceived itself. So a kind of a, a major point of that is this um, text that Mark Fisher wrote about a work by the a work by the author group, and the work is called an the work is called the work is called an the work is called Anatoma, and it was made in two thousand and eleven, and it's this beautiful and kind of strange and charming work that um take that like samples a lot of clips of the advertising of to- of of the advertising of like touchscreens, um. And then it kind of makes it into this almost strange kind of like a cultic thing where it's flicking between these um, these uh, kind of crystals on screen, which is referencing again the kind of crystal tech tech the kind of the crystal technology that makes touchscreens touch work. So this is a different frame to think or to talk about um, tech, right? Because another kind of classic example of how. Um, museums and galleries have explored the relationship between art and technology, for instance, is a 2016 show at the Whitechapel um, called Electronic Super High Highway. And it, it on its on like on, 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 on like the terms that it set out, it, it's, it's this remarkable exhibition, right? It showed uh, kind of a huge flexibility uh, or kind of a wide range of responses in how art and how artists were responding to tech. And one thing that I really appreciated about the show as well is 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 the is the is that it looked back to um, a kind of generation of new media artists who preceded the who preceded the internet, and it also began with the most recent work and then worked backwards. So, it I was doing all all of these kind of amazing things about thinking about. Um, about time and how artists were, were were responding, and it was it was a very impressive kind of example of of the way that artists can capture the kind of texture of like what it means what what it means to be alive and to kind of live through these dramatic societal shifts. Um, but the one piece of the puzzle that it kind of ignored or looked over was um, like conceptions about technology itself, right? And that's why I found this Mark Fisher text so attractive, because he is kind of situating the conversation in a kind of wider lineage of of anti-capitalist thinkers who are disputing who are disputing capitalism not just as an unfair system, but as a kind of form of belief itself. So, as a part of this as a part of this conversation, we can think about people like Walter like Walter like Walter Benjamin, who. Um, who wrote a text about capitalism as a form of re- religion, and he describes it as a, like an extreme form of re- re- religion. And there he was he he was disputing or he was um, diverting from people like Max Weber, who um, talked about the way that the Protestant work 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 a, a, a ethic had kind of shaped capitalism, and what um what. And I, and I, Benjamin kind of wanted to wanted to take the argument further and say no, it is like a, an extreme religion, um, in and of itself. And then there's also people like Isabel Stengers and Philip Pig Pignare who coined who coined who coined the term capitalist sorcery. 
So this is a this is a kind of a part of the conversation that I wanted to put this um to put this debate about art art into art and tech tech technology in. Um because if you think about the work of other people, someone like Trevor Paglin, um um who are I think are understood as adva- as 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 advancing very kind of insightful or advanced forms of critique about um, what technology is doing in doing doing in 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 society by um, by looking at like military bases or the kind of physical uh, cables that make the internet possible or the kind of or the kind of multi multitude of um, surveillance systems that. Um, um, the, yeah, the, the the kind of multitude of surveillance systems that uh, define that define contemporary life. Um, all of his work is kind of looking at technology as it is, but it's but it's not um, getting to that more kind of core or like ideological conversation about the way that the way the technology is 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 like conceived itself. Um, so, so is this kind of related to to Mark Fisher's? Uh, notion that you quote, I think, from Digital Psychedelia, where he, he says capitalism is indifferent to content. All that matters is that the content continues to circulate. Yeah, yeah, because uh, I think there's um, there's different there's different levels that the the essay is um, working at, and I, I think on some level it's 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 like entering into the conversation about what the kind of purpose of the like purpose of of like art of our art is, or what's the relationship between artists and 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 society, and I think um, that quote from Mark Fisher is particularly useful now, because as um, um, as contemporary digital culture and social media in, in particular gives people so many platforms to you know speak out or to share their. Pers- to share to share to share their to share to share their perspective, I I think I, I I think we need to think about that kind of context in which in which some of that um, conversation is like taking place, and I think some of the more um, some of the more insightful interventions into um, kind of digital life and social media have kind of raised that point that um, on some level the, the like social media. Companies are still are still like profiting off you, even if you're um, being critical of their like of of their like business model. So this becomes a big issue for this idea of like critique in in art, right? What does it mean to um, to like reveal something about surveillance? What does it mean to um, make people aware that the internet is not this? immaterial ephemeral system but one that is actually you know built with physical in, in infrastructure in the world and often depending on the kind of hidden labor of people of people around the world those are like important things to do but they are also very kind of limited by this by this context itself and that's part of why i think um this kind of uh, lineage of thinkers who are, who are who are who are trying to not just critique technology but to think about technology differently um, so important and why that um, author group work is um, for me very kind of very kind of convincing um, but like something I'd, I'd want to add slightly as well is that um, you know I I don't believe for I don't believe for instance that like the criteria that we should be thinking or talking about art is simply if we like agree with its uh, if we kind of agree with its politics right like my my point about this my point about this difference between certain kinds of artworks or certain kinds of shows isn't just that um i i agree with i agree with one person because mark fisher wrote about them but i disagree with someone else you know um because i don't like something that they said in like an interview right i think that this is a this is this like also kind of gets at some of the sort of um, formal choices or the kind of strategies that artists are um, are kind of taking on too, um, and I think and I think that there's a there's a there's a there's a lot of room to kind of change how how we're thinking about um, about the art and 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 about what artists are do. But part of my hope for this kind of um, lineage of thinking as well is that it 
it it like it like kind of might prompt new or or like stranger ways for people to kind of engage some of this topic and um i like also quote um yeah and one um because that's that that's a kind of an intentional strategy that i took on some of the um some of the approach to the essay as well right so i'm quoting um someone like italo calvino and i'm uh, citing Susan Sontag as well, like these are not um, write, writers who are kind of known necessarily for writing about technology, although it kind of does come 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 up at different points in their in their in their work. Uh, but they're also not maybe the most uh, obvious or direct references to make in an essay about tech, right? To to quote Italo Calvino's um, six six memos for the next. Mm-hmm. Millennium, or to quote Susan Sontag's essay, kind of note, notes on camp. And I think that this might kind of get at um, something I was trying to ex- express in the piece, which is this sort of frustration with how um, so much of the conversation tends to go, right? And I even kind of cite some of my frustrations with um, the way the, like, like the way that galleries are, are using terms like increasingly and rapidly and deeply. These are these sort of stock phrases that um, kind of appear again and again and kind of cloud our, cloud some of our thinking. Um, and I suppose part of the, the argument of the piece is that um, I'm, feeling frustra- I'm, I'm feeling frustrated with um, um, how so much of the thinking seems kind of familiar. And there is, but, there is, but there's a reason why um, galleries and museums like phrases, like these kind of uh, ambiguous phrases, like, in, like, in, like, increasingly or rapidly and this 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 might be what, I, what i'm trying to get at with the kind of the institutional agenda is that they're um that it's it's useful for them to make this claim for like relevancy that um the blockbuster exhibition that they're holding is kind of relevant or topical this is good for press attention this is good for ticket sales um it's it's also a certain kind of approach to art history making that um that if, if if you want to hold a big exhibition about surveillance, then a, then a Trevor Paglin work will kind of in a very neat way um, show what surveillance looks like. It, it will describe how surveillance is um, operating in the world, and it will give some kind of um, some kind of critique. Let's say let's say about bias in like data bias in like data sets, and um, on like an immediate or an instinctual level. Um, I, I've I've tended to find this a bit uh, a bit dry or a bit a bit kind of lacking, while while feeling like the political claim of the work was maybe very certain or um, convincing in in certain ways. But there was that kind of inescapable feeling that like something else was being left left off left left off the table here, and I think that that Mark Fisher text Digital Psychedelia um, was really awakening for me in kind of certain ways or certain kinds of my thinking and a certain it scratched a certain kind of itch um that i think that some of the work of the author group does does too and i think um i i i avoided doing this in the piece because it uh, i think it would need to be its own quite significant project but i think that there is a lot of artists out there um who are making work that um destabilizes our our understanding of technology or the internet in some ways and this tends to be work that is um that like looks or feels a bit strange that it's looking to alternative ways of of thinking or like forgotten or overlooked his overlooked histories and um that's where i was that's the reason i wanted to appropriate that phrase from jean from jean from jean baudrillard as well the kind of the idea of the strange tomorrow and because he's talking about the ways that theory shouldn't just be a means of like describing the world, right? That what a strange tomorrow does is it it like it 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 expects or it anticipates a way of living and thinking differently. And I think that there's a lot more scope for um, art to kind of take on this to like take on this space. Yeah, I I, I wanted to come back to that um, idea that you mentioned earlier that maybe uh, your your vision is that that we can talk about technology. I think you said, yeah, in a stranger way, which I thought was great. But it, it seemed to me to be linked maybe to the the quote you take from Susan Sontag, style is everything. Um, 
and it seemed to be you seem to be kind of saying well i'd ask you to maybe elaborate on how sontag's notion of of the purpose of of camp um and this idea of dethroning the serious um just maybe to elaborate on how that connects to to maybe what your your vision is for how to talk about technology yes well um because i and i don't i I don't mean to like um I don't mean to keep talking about Trevor Paglin um because the the intention of the piece isn't to work as like a to work to work as like a takedown of 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 him but there's there's a certain way that um I think that his that his work very directly or obviously speaks to certain issues that are kind of quote unquote serious um and this, I think, kind of quickly slips into the way I describe about this this kind of this, this idea of like this, this idea of like relevancy being something that um in that in, in institutions are very kind of very kind of attracted very kind of attracted to. But yeah, no, I I think that the I, I think that the Santa quote is really useful because um because of this phrase to dethrone the serious. Um, because there are these ways that um, certain artists or certain approaches um, might be obvious or direct or kind of relevant in some ways um, that en- that that en- ends up without intending to taking te- technology on its own terms, um, and I think that there's more fruitful approaches that that don't just um, describe the way that that technology does work now or to or to describe the, the kind of various injustices of specific corporate of like specific corporations um, but to try to like try and think about it to try and to try and think about it different to try and think about it differently um so yeah so there's this kind of taking something off the pedestal um so that we can kind of think about it differently or or else or else or else that we can look in other other directions as well i think is um great and, and you mentioned that you you think there are some artists working at the moment who are going some way towards doing these things, but do you think the problem is that that, that the institutional agenda doesn't align with that vision, or that that um, yeah, how, how how can we kind of how can we push forward those those yeah, different so, ways of looking at it? So it's funny, so because I am. Um... In like an earlier version of this piece, I did start like naming people or like kind of cobbling together my kind of cast of artists who I think um, do exemplify this kind of alternative ways of thinking about tech or these alternative approaches. But it's quite interesting that very few of them do foreground like tech or tech technology as a part of their practice. Although if you look at how the work is made, certain choices or even the kind of the wider discourse around their work, it's kind of, it's obvious that they're thinking about this stuff, but there's there's clearly something about the quote-unquote art and technology world that they're trying to distance themselves uh, from. So so I decided to kind of remove uh, them because I think it's a maybe a part of a larger project to kind of explore that. But I think, I think if you think about my discussion in the piece about um, the differences between Christian Marclay's The Clock and uh, the practice of Ryan trade carton. Um, this, this, this for me was like an interesting discussion that I, I was, I was kind of borrowing from Claire, Claire, Claire Bishop, and kind of um, advancing forward in a certain direction as well. Was that um, it's not exactly clear um, why certain works get described as being about te- about technology and why certain ones don't. Right. So Christian Marclay's The Clock, for instance, um, lots of digital tools were kind of central in the making of that. Um, um, but when you look at the work or when you experience it or when you kind of read um, a lot of the, the kind of critical writing or the historical writing around it, um, it, it, it is talking about it in kind of a history of like cinema, right? But then there's someone else like Ryan Tricarton who is kind of making these kind of self, these, these kind of self-consciously um, kind of digital frag frag fragmented films, which is very which is kind of very readily, um, just very readily described as being about art and technology. But both are using editing software in like an extensive way, 
Um, both are obviously coming from a context in which we are sort of overwhelmed with um, things to um, to kind of look at or that's kind of vying for our for 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 our attention. Um, but it's not clear why one is why one is seeing is this kind of ar- ar- archetypal response to to like digital life and one is one is not. Um, so that's that's some of the thing I was trying to do in the piece was to um, to cite slightly unconventional people or to try and just question um, some of the kind of the norms or the expectations about some of the kind of the art and technology conversation. Um, and it's, it's part, part of the sense why I, th- I think it made to write about it now as well, right? So this is in 2022. We're um, very familiar with um, certain di- discourses around net art, certain discourses around post in internet art, um, the kind of the the influence of the internet and kind of major corporations like Facebook and Google are, are kind of on the the like news agenda in a big way. We're um, just off the back of a kind of a number of blockbuster exhibitions about art and tech in kind of major museums and galleries around the world um, and a certain kind of um, familiar discourse around um, art offering a kind of critique of technology has kind of emerged and and formed and um, I, I, I wanted to kind of point out a kind of number of things about this um, one and this is a part of my discussion about the about the about the Whitechapel show is that so much attention is put on the range of responses or the sort of flexibility of how of how artists have responded to, but very little is kind of said or thought about um, about the way that technology has been shaped itself. And it is you know it is not um, it is it is not like a you know. A, an expected thing that um, our, our that our relationship with technology should kind of be 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 the way be the way it is, um, and, and kind of what it means to critique um, that relationship is actually very is 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 a very is a very kind of complicated thing. Like there there are lots of different activities that are that are that are dramatically different to what what they're doing that are all kind of described as being a part of the same kind of kind of critique like i mm. reference um adam greenfield's uh, radical technologies for example and he 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 and he in the book kind of moves across these different positions about um about how technological systems are very complex uh, and very powerful um and by these corporations they're sort of intentionally kept opaque and a part of a a sort of a democratic in, impulse is that we need to kind of decode and explain and make this accessible for the general public. Um, but there's also an approach about um, the second approach is is to kind of point out or to highlight how um, developments or tendencies within technology overlap with explicit ideological agendas both of uh, nation states and also of powerful in individuals. So this is kind of getting at maybe, like, maybe some of the kind of complexity of the, of the conversation um, because um, these are all very dramatically different things and all of these contexts do quite significantly shape um, what artists are doing, how we're thinking or talking about what they're doing, um, the kinds of practices that museums and galleries are looking at and the way that they're um, framing them as well. Mm. Um, so I think that, um, there's a whole, I think there's a whole new, or there's, there's a whole kind of secondary kind of, uh, there's a whole kind of, uh, kind of second, uh, there's a whole critical pro, 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 pro project that like should follow on from what I'm kind of raising now, which is, um, um, I think kind of how, like, I think having an argument about this like pluralistic uh, context in which um, different conceptions of like radically different conceptions of technology, very different kind of approaches of critique are all kind of lumped in as being the one thing. Um, and I think there's, there's really meaningful differences between them. And I think yeah. that this um, lineage of anti-capitalist thinkers kind of points to um, one very, very pronounced and particular um, uh, 
strain strain of that that uh, that I I I I I think should should be more uh, should should be kind of more for foregrounded. It can feel. I mean, as soon as an institution does a show where it's like this is about art and technology, it kind of already means that the the way of critiquing has has set in, and that almost yeah, any they're... almost any any artwork or artist that then appears in that context is kind of homogenized. Is, now under a homogenous umbrella of like that's how we talk about this thing and so you end up restricting like these stranger ways or these different styles of ways to talk about something and like what's being paid attention to in these conversations about these art and technology shows is what the artists are is what the artists are doing but what's what's as as important is is the kind of uh maybe the definition of technology that the that the institution itself is putting forward, and the kind of um, the 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 kind of the like limitation of scope that they're that they're placing on the conversations around it, um, and um, I thought I think I I think that, that second part deserves a lot more scrutiny and attention um, because for me it's not just about that you can you would just hold the same shows but you would you would show different kinds of work or 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 something because I, I i i i i think that how the institutions are defining what technology is is shaping how we're thinking about about the artists that are involved and of course with any sort of big blockbuster show you're only seeing a very narrow snapshot of any individual's practice so it's even quite difficult or kind of unreasonable to expect any of the artists to um um, be able to sort of destabilize how the conversation is ha- happening in that in that context, right? Yeah, fantastic. Um, I think that's uh, that's all we've got time for, Chris. But thank you so much. Right. Great, and thank you so much. A reminder that you can read both of these articles in the print issue of Art Monthly magazine, which is available at artmonthly.co.uk, uh, and we have an offer at the moment where if you start subscribing this month. Uh, you'll get a free Samson Kambalu artist print with the first issue. Uh, That's also available at artmonthly.co.uk. So Chris, you've written an article entitled Mold in the Museum, which uh, explores recent work of artists um, who make use of fungus as a pointed form of institutional critique. Maybe you could just tell us um, what you're driving at in this piece and how you came to write it. Okay, yeah. Thanks. I guess partially it was just to think about mold as sort of a medium in itself, I suppose, in an art context and how that might connect um, ideas of disgust um, and ideas of thinking about kind of what's already present in everyday life, every situation that we're in um, and how that might kind of cut through um, art art itself, art institutions, um, and our kind of encounters with it, and like how we kind of think about ourselves as sort of separate or distant from it. So, um, I mean, I guess the piece was a long time coming through just encounters with uh, some of the artists that are mentioned in the piece, um, in terms of that they just literally have mold or fungus or mushrooms in uh, a piece itself installed in it. But but then also kind of like a broader context of, I mean, I'm sure um, listeners might have noticed you know mushrooms themselves in various artworks whether as a conceptual prop or as the sort of like inspiration for how um, things might move between themselves um, and I guess this sort of broader thing I guess in terms of the presence of an awareness of uh, fungi and mycelial networks in both science and ecology um, and popular culture I guess as well in terms of you know, everything from, you know, Star Trek uh, and other places as well, the sort of um, use of mycelial networks um, as this kind of connector between things that we maybe weren't as aware of uh, previously in um, recent years, I guess. So, um, I mean, you had things like the Mushroom Show at Somerset House as these sort of like maybe bookmarkers, I guess, for like artists making use of images of mushrooms or ideas of mushrooms. And I guess I wanted to think about this, yeah, material question of when you bring the mushroom or the mold, um, not just into the museum, actually from the museum, um, what questions does that pose? 
And um, and what questions does it pose? Is it questions of, um, questions of kind of institutional critique or questions of um, this idea of mold maybe outliving the institution or? Um... Yeah, I mean, I guess um, I suppose maybe it's this kind of question partially of like, like for me, there was these kind of questions of like, what does institutional critique achieve these days? I suppose, you know, it's like, um, like there's this idea of co-option is so readily apparent, but then I think the idea, what interests me about the, the presence of the fungus in these things was that it's already there um, and sort of just highlighting it. So it's this idea of maybe a kind of reflection or a mirror or sort of like a kind of acknowledgement of uh, necessitating a broader definition of what we think of as an art institution can hold or does hold. Um, or even a broader definition of culture and this idea of that like microbial or mycelial work or even just microbial and mycelial death that's necessitated in order to enable this encounter with the art object, I suppose. Um, so these kind of questions of, of hierarchies and um, I don't know, anthropocentric um, presumptions, I suppose, that we kind of reside on these things that uh, I found kind of interesting, I suppose. So, um, I mean, I guess, like, say, one one starting point for me, I mean, the piece itself starts with a description of these um, Petri dishes that Esmeralda Valencia Lindstrom made for her show at the Royal Academy in 2019, um, where she'd swabbed various artworks that were either being presented or in storage and then cultured the swabs and presented those. And they're kind of a, you know, sort of portrait in alternative form, I suppose, of these artworks by Philida Barlow, Anthony Gormley, Anthony Caro. Um, but then, yeah, it was sort of this broader question of like, what is that actually depicting and what kind of uh, broader, I don't know, like threat is it, I suppose. And it was a very small gesture. I mean, I was invited to write a text in tandem with the show. So that kind of got me started thinking on it as well. And, and I mean, there was one phrase that kind of ended up writing in the text that sort of stuck with me is that like fungi are the editors of the world and um, partially in the sense because they they can break down everything they kind of like take basic elements of life and kind of like they're what enable decomposition and the sort of recycling of things into the environment but also this idea of like invisibility maybe and i was thinking you know editing is this sort of thing that happens in the background and then allows other things to happen so i guess it was also thinking about mold as a way to make other aspects of an institution visible, I suppose, that it, it kind of like allows a kind of portraiture or um, presence that we might not otherwise acknowledge to become to the fore, I suppose. So, it, it, and is that to do with, um, how, how specifically does, um, does that Esmeralda Valencia Lindstrom work kind of you're saying that the, the the kind of mold, the use of the mold, or the the extraction of well, first of all, how exactly does she make these petri dishes? She extracts kind of bacteria from artworks, or well, no, it's it's literally just taking a swab and running it along um, the work itself, and then so a petri dish for culturing generally has a bit of um, a kind of sugary base to it, and then this sort of thing that that. Um, mold and bacteria love and and it just then you just put it in a kind of like warm place to let it propagate and so the petri dishes were kind of a mixture of bacteria and molds growing in various patterns um and yeah i mean that was kind of it it's very it's quite simple um on one level and that you know it's it is just a growth they do have these kind of crazy colors though as well like the philida barlow ones kind of pinky and yellowy um, you know, and and the Gormley ones just kind of this sort of dry brown, um, which which kind of become very tempting to kind of read as a reflection of something else within the work itself, which you know maybe it isn't, but I guess there's maybe that's the kind of interesting rub of it, and that there's this sort of um, potential for other elements to come through that we might not be able to recognize uh, in some sense. But, is there a sense in which it's a kind of metaphor for the way in which collections inhabit institutions or uh, a sense maybe in which it's somehow the, the mold could be like a an occupation like in a kind of almost in a uh, somehow yeah. 
anarchic sense or anti-institutional sense. Um, yeah, and that it's it's something unruly or unaccounted for um, that is already kind of working its way through the institution. Um, I mean, I think most institutions do go through a process of kind of cleansing, <coughs> excuse me, cleansing things that go into their collections. So things are heat treated often before they're kind of stored. But obviously that doesn't kill off everything. And there's sort of this idea of like, yeah, the kind of anarchic, un unruly element to it that actually will, despite all of our attempts for control or definition or hierarchizing this, will already be present and working its way through. So like another um, starting point for me as well to think about this was the Gala Porus Kim exhibition earlier this year at Gasworks, um, in which, I mean, she, she, her wider practice is involved in this kind of idea of institutional critique, but there's this one particular piece where she again took a swab of uh, some storage boxes in the British Museum. She doesn't disclose which exactly, so it's maybe dissimilar from the Lindstrom piece where we kind of know where the swab came from. But the, um, the idea there was just kind of like a portrait of the British Museum in mold. And so it's just a large cloth that is soaked in a kind of agar sugar starch, uh, similar to what is given in a petri dish and just letting it grow over the weeks of the show itself. Um, so that you get all these kind of greens and browns and grays kind of growing in these concentric circles across this giant piece of cloth. But that itself, you know, again, it's sort of a portrait but it's also disclosure, I guess, this sort of like, insight into the museum itself so, okay and i guess those that question that i'm asking about is like okay how do we accept that this stuff is already there what are the implications of that um that being that like okay if we say okay mold is already there and this is already embedded in our definitions of culture so we necessarily have to expand what what our idea of culture is or like to think about what is um being trampled on or um discounted every time we think about these encounters with the object itself within the institution. Hmm. Well, why, where, where do you think this appetite has come for, for these themes? Like in recent years, like you mentioned Merlin Sheldrake's... Um, Entangled Lives, yeah. I mean, I think... Entangled Lives being a bestseller, which is, yeah, an, an unlikely bestseller, I guess. But where do you think this appetite has come for, for these themes of mycelial networks or mold? in recent years? Um, I mean, I think partially it's an idea of, I don't know, maybe an encounter with the unknown. I think there's a, a few parallels. Like if we can think about it alongside, say, AI or even artist's use of clay, or, you know, it's this kind of like reaction to ephemerality and dislocation where actually there's something more rooted and something kind of predating us that actually connects stuff. So it, partially there's this idea of like connection and there's a naturalness to it um, that I think appeals to a lot of people. But I think it's um, also maybe it's just that the science is actually becoming more focused and that then slowly filters down to a kind of cultural awareness of what um, what is actually around us and what we can do with it and how we kind of interact with things. You know, it's sort of, um, these ideas of mycelial networks connecting, um, you know, ecologies is only, yeah, just recent decades. So I think it's that kind of slow filtration of that into um, artists understanding that wider things. And so, I don't, I, yeah, to be honest, I wouldn't know how to kind of define the hunger for it, but I think there's sort of like different ways to understand. Um, it's like, a, I don't know, there's something evocative and that's both the kind of like cosmic and grounding at the same time you know there's sort of this contradictory pull to it I think that's quite interesting um and I mean the Sheldrick book is it's that's very entertaining as an introduction and um, but there's also these kind of like great ways to think about like this idea that it talks about like giant mushrooms kind of being the first form of life to kind of colonize land but also this like mushrooms breaking down wood being what um, enabled then things like petroleum to form. No, actually before that. Anyway, sorry, it gets mixed up. But um, but I, I you know I think it's it's kind of a it's like this great unknown that's already been under our feet that I think is quite interesting I suppose and 
And maybe it's that that kind of like enables this return to um, reviving. I don't know. I guess I sort of think of it as kind of like a health and safety institutional critique, because I guess health and safety culture has become so normalized as part of a sort of scientific paradigm that we accept, particularly post pandemic or still in the pandemic, this idea of like how uh, safety guidelines and health and safety guidelines govern our lives in a certain sense and how that kind of carries through into art institutions. Um, and I think that's partially what I was interested in with all of these artists, who isn't just talking about the, the work, but asking each of them about what parameters they butted up against in, in installing the work and what limits there were in showing the work as well. Yeah, I think you say in, in the piece that there's quite pragmatic sense in which this interests you, like what can you, what can be installed in an institution or what, you know, what are the limitations of that? And that is one way in which maybe you can maybe do something a bit radical with this as an artist or as an institution. Yeah, I mean, I think there's also maybe it's that idea of disgust or unknown, like this idea if you've got spores circulating in an artwork that it, I think a health and safety um, person in an institution might kind of have these alarm bells going off when actually the spores are already circulating. You know, it's this idea of it may be a, a sort of acceptance or being realistic about what's in front of us, but while somehow acknowledging our own sense of threat is internalized, it's, um, you know, we're afraid of things that are already there in that sense. And so this idea of like hygiene culture governing what is governing isn't the reality of the threat it's governing our perception of our hierarchy over that threat hmm. maybe maybe you could talk about the 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 spoiled spores installation avril karun at, um the mm. show maybe in, in relation to that idea yeah i mean i think for for avril karun's work um i mean a lot of it is around these ideas of labor and exploring a lot of these hierarchies and so um, and a lot of like her current work and that work were kind of revolved around tenancies and tenancy rights and this fact that like um, properties had black mold in it, which does pose issues for respiratory illness and this sort of thing, but that they weren't being, the tenants weren't being, the properties weren't being leaked after it was then posed a threat to the tenants. And so, but her way of kind of like posing this question was through um, producing a kind of faux luxury good of um, a mold ripened cheese, but then so making cheese, but then taking some of the black molds from uh, some of these properties and using that to culture the cheeses. So, and then making these kind of faux ads and presenting them in, in these um, food storage fridges so that, yeah, your, your encounters with this thing that looks appealing on some level and has the kind of um, appearance and well smell of a luxury good and um, but that holds all of this other you know realistic definition of culture like this idea that like moldy flats and people being ripped off for damp apartments is actually part of our culture as well you know and um, and that's kind of an ongoing concern for her uh, just with the Got Damp uh, project that she's working on as well into the coming year of like collecting uh, water from people's humidifiers in various damp houses and like how that's connected to issues of social housing, issues of, you know, the housing market itself and it's kind of exorbitant pressure to always grow, but then, then within it is all these issues of, um, yeah, the rot, I suppose, is one way to look at. I mean, that was something within Lindstrom's work as well, was this idea of an interest in dry rot and how it kind of works its way through buildings. And that kind of became one of her organizational principles for the show. But, you know, it was also looking for dry rot in the RA, which she didn't find. But that was kind of one way to think about the show, was this kind of like fungal occupation and how it exposes this kind of... Um, let's see, the fungal rot itself being not just a metaphor, but a reality for kind of like conceptual rot. Hmm. Yeah, you touched on the, um, 
Corinne's piece there with the is it the the piece called Got Dan, the collection? Yeah. Maybe you could just describe that piece a bit more because I think it is interesting the way it speaks specifically maybe to an issue in London about damp and mold in in. This is an ongoing project actually that she's still working on with uh, Taco in the Thamesmead estate, um, but also that she'll be working on in Dublin as well next year. So it's kind of something that like say if listeners are interested in and want to take part in that she's looking for more people taking part. So they, they, the work doesn't have a shape as yet. I guess it's more figuring out what it is and kind of thinking through these questions of um, yeah, property value uh, presence, what kind of living presences we sit beside and like, how can we live with them? And, you know, what, how are these regulated in some sense? So it's a kind of ongoing thing that is, is yet to take. Yeah. I mean, so, so far she's been collecting water from various houses in the Thamesmead estate, but it's kind of expanding, <laughs> excuse me, to wider in London and in Dublin as well to get, um, yeah. A, a kind of broader sample to think through as well. Mm. And um, other artworks you discussed, Steve Bishop's Deliquessing. Yes. So, I, I mean, yeah, so it was interesting as well to, because like say with like Lindstrom and Porus Kim, there's this idea of like the, the mold coming from the building itself. But I guess it was also necessary and interesting to think about this alongside other ones where people had grown mushrooms within an institution that wasn't necessarily cultured from the institution itself. So like say with Steve Bishop's work, um, this was at KW in Berlin in 2019, where he's growing lion's mane mushrooms, but then the, the growing necessitated covering the whole floor in plastic sheeting and kind of making sure that the place had extremely high humidity and was quite warm um, well, I, well, 15 degrees, um, which I guess is quite cool, I suppose, sorry. <laughs> Warm for today, maybe. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, but then, so, but the lion's mane itself being a kind of um, one that was, that's touted in sort of like health food or health uh, context, uh, specifically from Chinese medicine, but then has kind of been um, absorbed by a kind of uh, Western health food obsession, I suppose. But this idea that it's good for regenerating brain cells. So they kind of try to promote it to older people to kind of like promote memory and things like that. And so um, and this is sitting along a video of a abandoned mining town in Canada. So this idea of um, regeneration maybe was there, this idea of like other growths that can maybe some lead to something growing back or um, something um, something else happening that maybe isn't obvious or not. But I mean, I guess what was interesting as well is like he, um, Bishop was talking about how they'd had a leak from a previous show that kind of um, had caused some leaks pre um, through the floor. And so they were quite anxious about these, this installation. So they had to kind of seal things, but it didn't turn out to cause any sort of structural issues despite the high humidity. And then it just became more this thing of like sharing the lion's mane. So they had so many that grew that it just became a sort of weekly giveaway um, to uh, all the staff as well. And I, I mean, I thought to me sat interestingly next to Candace Lynn's piece, which was also using lion's mane, but itself was being kind of within the bag that was supposed to be uh, moisturized with urine from people who worked within the gallery. I mean, this it was originally shown in a commercial gallery in LA, but then it's currently part of a bigger show at MIT uh, at the moment, like a bigger group show called Microbiance, I believe. Um, so I guess each of those kind of posing kind of different structural issues, I guess, this idea of, so you can still grow the mushroom and maybe it has these specific constraints in each sense, but maybe that it would ask a wider thing of like, okay, is it does it pose a problem for the building or even who's going to provide the pee you know that sort of thing where it's just like um different ways of kind of evoking these institutional questions that might ask new ways to occupy an institution so beyond just the kind of usual like 
ways that institutional critique might think about architecture or funding or that sort of thing, like that health and safety can pose another way to confront us with these sort of hierarchies of culture that we've ingested. Amazing. Thank you so much, Chris. I think, I think that's, uh, that's all we've got time for. Great. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Chris Veit-Wasselak and thank you also to Chris Hayes for coming on the show and talking about their work. And thank you also to Resonance FM as always for having us. Bye-bye.